Welcome to Love's a Secret Weapon podcast. Our Love's a Secret Weapon community is going to celebrate my collaborator, Dr. Adam Garace. His birthday is this time, and we are in a great union to listen to a beautiful writing that he has composed and will share with us. Happy birthday, Adam. So this is 40. Huh. Last year, I turned 40. I write that with some trepidation even after several months. Strangely, though I've never really tried to hide my age in my writing, my references to Police Academy movies and the Australian TV series A Country Practice kind of give it away, I do feel a little vulnerable putting it out there. Turning 40 sounds like, and I guess it was, a big deal. Unlike my 30th, where I had a rather extravagant party, I decided to keep it low-key and host some smaller events with various friends. Bob surprised me with a weekend away in the Adelaide Hills on an organic farm in what's called a tiny house. We arrived late when the sun had gone down and after fumbling around for the light switches in the pitch black, the house revealed itself to be charming, not so tiny and well-equipped. Bob heated dinner, I opened the Chardonnay and we settled in to watch the Eurovision semi-finals. We did pretty much the same thing on our first trip away over 10 years ago. The next day, we had a leisurely start before meeting friends who had driven up to meet us for lunch at a winery. An evening of cheese and more wine on the deck followed. Best of all, the paddocks surrounding the house had cows. (laughs) Such fun. Going away made my birthday feel a little gentler. It's strange that when I was a teenager, I couldn't wait 
to be older. I love the idea of having what I saw as stylish early 2000s adult clothes, renting an apartment with beautiful floorboards and an impressive view, and hosting dinner parties where the conversations would be important, stimulating, and most important, sparkling. I wanted to be old enough to say things like, we've known each other for three decades, or I did that 20 years ago, when referring to friends, colleagues, and experiences. I never really felt like a teenager at the time, although in some ways, compared to my friends, I had the most growing up to do. Have you watched the animated TV series Bojack Horseman about an anthropomorphic actor horse? There's a character, Vincent Adultman, who is catfishing Bojack's Hollywood agent, Persian cat Princess Caroline. In reality, though, Vincent is three children hiding under a trench coat standing on each other's shoulders. Substitute a trench coat with suede jacket and corduroy pants and you kind of have me in my late teens trying to play all grown up. In the weeks leading up to my birthday then, I surprised myself by how anxious I was to be turning 40. Turning 40 really brought into sharp focus that there is an infinite time. I know that's not a particularly groundbreaking reflection, but when you're younger, it seems like you have nothing but time. Remember those summers off school when the clock moved ever so slowly? Here in Australia in the summer heat, we'd lie on the couch or the cool tile floor watching the cricket and reruns of TV shows that were on hiatus. Later at university, I didn't feel indulgent to pass weeks with doing very little of anything other than partying and sometimes drinking the night away. There would be enough time to figure out what you wanted to do with your life. There was oh so much time to explore options and people, even if for me that meant bouncing from bad relationship to bad relationship until not a moment too soon, I experienced some insight into my patterns. Up until I was in my 30s, it felt as if life could be a series of vignettes rather than putting something together that in the cold light of day would look and feel rounded and whole. The year I turned 30, I wrote an email to my mentor and friend, Professor Rosalind Cartwright, about how it seemed time was drifting. Her response was very impactful. She wrote me back advising, and I quote, spend your young adulthood wisely so that in the following decades you will have something valuable to do that lasts. She ended with, I saw promise in you that needs to be a focus so that time does not continue to slip away. Professor Cartwright's advice spurred me to action and I got busy. I started meeting certain goals that are deemed appropriate in the area in which I was working, such as publishing a certain number of papers and winning grants. However, I don't know if I got her advice then. I felt a dissonance between what I was supposedly accomplishing and what I really felt. I saw little meaning in what I was doing, was dissatisfied, and believed that after so much supposed promise, I was treading water. At the time, I unconsciously kept pursuing my goals, but didn't understand why I was frustrated or felt trapped. It was several years before I truly started to understand, in part thanks to a good therapist, that fulfillment, be it in work, home life, or in relationship with oneself or others, comes from living life in line with one's values. Goals should be underpinned by values rather than goals being seen as a proxy for knowing one's values 
or as an end in themselves. Something valuable, as Professor Cartwright put it, is something that allows you to live authentically from which you derive satisfaction and that helps you to get out of bed in the morning. Something valuable, as I've come to define it, is also something that is important but not a disproportionate part of one's overall life satisfaction. I do need to say that I'm now somewhere where I enjoy working and find the work fulfilling. But I have to admit that I feel those late 20s, early 30s years could have been spent better. Turning 40, I couldn't stave off the feeling that there were some wasted and lost years in the wilderness that I could never get back. My therapist once told me that they thought I derived a lot of my identity from work rather than it being a proportionate part of who I thought I was. Eckhart Tolle wrote in his book, A New Earth, about how rather than seeing a job or even being a parent as something we do or a function we fulfill, we can confuse these roles with our identity. Unease comes from when the role ends, changes, or in my case, isn't fulfilling. We can start to question, who am I? Or who am I now? I am consciously working on not identifying so much with my work role and feel I've made a bit of a breakthrough. If I reflect on it, my disquiet had a lot to do with realising time is finite and over-identifying with an unfulfilling work identity. But there was another role or identity that I was struggling to let go of as I turned 40. When I started working, so much of my identity and attitude towards myself came from how I thought others saw me. This is what Charles Cooley referred to in 1902 as the looking glass self. I started my PhD at 21 and I was the youngest in the department by quite a few years. Submitting my thesis five years later and then starting a job as a postdoctoral researcher, I was still by a long shot the youngest person in the room. Sometimes I resented that because even though I worked hard over those years, I didn't feel I was listened to or that others thought I had enough gravitas. I'd be lying though if I said there weren't times when I did relish it. Colleagues were surprised or impressed with what I had done or the work I'd produced at, as they put it, your age. That felt good. While I haven't been the youngest person in the room for a while, turning 40 did represent a more objective changing of the guard.
over the past few months, I've started to look at turning 40 a bit differently. I'm reluctant to present to you a things I know now that I'm 40 list. It seems a little indulgent and perhaps a little bit presumptuous. When reflecting on her legacy and waxing a bit nostalgic, Bette Midler caught herself once and said something along the lines of, well, I've thought of my legacy since I was 21. I feel the same, but that's Bette Midler. Nonetheless, I will share with you some thoughts I've had over the last few months. If nothing else, it might be an improvement on my things I know now that I'm 20, which, if I had written, is most probably on a three and a half inch floppy disk and due to outdated technology, mercifully lost to time. So, what's it all about? First, there is an infinite time. That's a good thing. Perhaps that means we need to make sure that we do as much as we can today rather than think we'll do it tomorrow. It's not about quantity, but about us understanding and doing what is meaningful to oneself. To me, to take psychologist Dr. Russ Harris's terms, it is about contribution, creativity, and connection. I truly do believe that if we're striving to live life in line with our values, that's not lost time. I didn't know at the time I was striving, but during a lot of those unfulfilling years, I knew it didn't feel right and did what I could to figure out what I wanted. People often tell me how busy I am, how much, as one friend puts it, I never stop home. (laughs) Maybe that's true, but if I can be as honest with you as I can, I feel that for so many experiences, I've not really been in the moment because of anxiety or other issues that have at times been a significant part of my life. They tell you to live, laugh and love. I'm more of a ruminate, rinse and repeat kind of guy. (laughs) There's a definite feeling of not being present, but being on the outside looking in. I was very busy in my 20s and a good part of my 30s. And from the outside, that might have looked fulfilling. But if even if others weren't, I was aware that I could have been doing more. That's not perfectionism talking so much as a reflection on how many days have been spent on the couch, exhausted from thoughts. So much dissatisfaction from work came from it not being a good environment, but other dissatisfaction was much more complex. Regardless, I can choose to see all this as lost time, or I can see it as being a painful but necessary part of becoming more aware of what I want and value. You know, I don't think our underlying or core values necessarily change as we get older, but their relative importance and how they are expressed might. Connection with others has always been so important to me. One thing that has changed over the last few years is the realisation that while I want to accomplish and contribute something to the wider world, for me, true cherished memories are experiences shared with friends and family. 
Mindfulness during those times is challenging, but worth it. What has given me that sense of meaning of late? Well, it's dinner parties, lazy days on the beach spent with friends, cultivating a hydrangea or baking a cake. Watching Police Academy all these years later with Bob and insightfully telling him, Captain Harris really isn't a villain. He just demands excellence of his recruits. (laughs) That's an insight I couldn't have had in 1989. But guess what? I can now say about a friend, I've known them for three decades. Fortunately, I can also say, so good to make a new friend. On the topic of friends, I think respect for others requires self-respect. I'm trying to be more respectful of people and myself. I don't want to make excuses, but at times when my head has not been in its best place, I haven't always been so respectful of people's time. I would cancel close to an event. Beyond feeling depleted, this action also comes from a lack of self-esteem. The voice in my head was telling me, I'm not feeling well. Why would they want to hang out with me anyway? My company's not that important. So what if I cancel? For that, I'm sorry. I still think time can drift in a way. In my early 20s, I fell out with a couple of people who were at that time important to me and I let time drift because it seemed there'd be time. Then you look back and realise that was 20 years ago. As I approached 40, I reached out to a couple of them to say, I'm sorry. It wasn't about wanting to diminish my responsibility or an exercise in reciprocity, wanting them to acknowledge in turn the role they had played. I didn't even expect a response. I did this because I truly felt sorry and wanted to unequivocally tell them that. I wasn't the best person I could have been at that time. Understanding what makes us tick. I think the best work I've done on myself is to try to figure out who I am. Besides being and perhaps looking young, I think that a lot of those times that I wasn't listened to in a meeting was because I didn't know what I stood for or what I wanted. As my friend Donna has said on this podcast, Others often don't trust us when we don't trust ourselves. I think I also defer to others because I am a people pleaser. The people pleasing ran so deep, in fact, that I wasn't just hiding what I thought, afraid to tell people. Often it wasn't even knowing what I thought. Maybe they would have paid attention if I had had the courage of my convictions. Of course, it's also possible that wouldn't have made a difference because some of them struck me as the kind of people who don't listen to, say, women, people from a background that isn't theirs, or the gay kid who wasn't trying to run everyone down to derive his own identity. If that's the case, more's the pity. Listening and empathy can go a long way. The ability to empathise is actually a skill that you can learn though for some of us it's more difficult than for others. Dr Adam Gerarchi is a senior research fellow. He's been studying empathy for the past 10 years. Now, Adam, in common usage, empathy, I think, is sort of... It's really being able to put yourself in the shoes of another person. Is that how you'd define it? Absolutely. I think... And there's so much complexity around the term empathy, but generally I use it to refer to sort of two areas. And the first, as you said, Amanda, is that ability to put ourselves into someone else's perspective, attempt to 
uh, imagine what they're thinking and feeling. And that's rather a cognitive or sort of internal process. And hopefully what that does is it helps us to better understand what the other person is experiencing. And sometimes it can also lead to experiencing some emotion, which is kind of the second component when we speak about empathy. And so we think about emotional empathy as experiencing an emotion as a result of someone else's experience. Our reaction might be to feel something very similar to what they're feeling. So if your friend on the phone is sad, you might feel sad. If uh, you might also experience a reaction. So you're not, you, they may be sad, but you don't feel sad. You might feel compassionate for them. Ah, empathy. Empathy is what I research and I love it. It's messy, sometimes biased, but fundamental to who we are. Sometimes it's the closest we can come to really knowing someone else. There's another concept, though, from psychology that I've always liked. It's called openness to experience. I feel so much more open to others' experiences. From a young age, I was so focused on getting good grades and being academic that I didn't realise the diversity of others' experiences and perspectives and how they could so enrich my own life. I'm so fascinated now by people telling me about their early years, their work, their hobbies, their travels. I'm endlessly in awe of the baker who knocks my socks off with a delicious cake, the gardeners who have helped me replenish my backyard, friends who are creative. Learning should be an end and not a byproduct of striving for a good grade. Frankly, so much of academia is about convincing everyone else how great you are. I never really bought into that, but now I just want to listen to others and soak it all in. I've often written about the relationship between empathy for others and our own self-understanding. It's something I'd love to research in more depth, but have had difficulty finding collaborators. And what stopped me is taking to heart their thinking that it's too hard to investigate. So I'm planning to do it on my own. Regardless, turning 40 put into focus an experience I had a few years ago. I had written something about a psychological concept called the spotlight effect, where adolescents become self-conscious and believe that everyone is watching them. I wrote about my own experiences with the effect when I was younger. The idea for this piece was that in the age of social media, who's to say this next wave of teenagers are incorrect? But what the piece became was an admonishing of younger people who focus more on cultivating an image than achieving something. I was quite pleased with what I had written, thought it was funny, and even included references to people from the era in which I grew up. These were people I aspired to be like in charm, looks, or popularity. People like Dita Brummer from the Australian series Home and Away. Quite pleased with myself, I showed my writing to a friend who has read a lot of my work and asked for their feedback. A bit uncharacteristically, he was less than enthused, telling me gently but directly, I'm not quite sure what the purpose of this is. I kept working on the piece for some time before finally abandoning it. I believe the reason the piece didn't work was not because I was saying anything that wasn't untrue about social media and some young people. It didn't work because I was a man in his late 30s with an inner child that was raging at those younger than him who seemed to have so much attention thrown at them without even having to do anything. It took me back to my teenage years. As an adolescent, adulation from others never felt easy. People were not always kind. Compassion from others then was much needed. 
But now I wasn't being compassionate to those grappling for identity and taking a bite of a very tempting apple in the way of socially mediated love. In wanting to be more caring towards young people, I need to be more nurturing to my young, sway-jacketed, corduroyed self. And to remind myself, all is not always what it seems. The people I adored when I was younger, like Dita Brummer, had private experiences and feelings that I could never know. All is not what it seems from what it appears to be on the outside. I've realised that life doesn't go the way you imagined it at 21. Career goals can go unfulfilled. Priorities change. Supposedly random events can change life in an instant. You lose people whose loss you feel so acutely sometimes you can't breathe. This leaves you appreciating life even with an awareness of its fragility, but you are never quite the same. Longing for what cannot be is very real and very painful. There are days when you give in to that pain and there are days when it's with you, but you're okay. What will our legacies be? (laughs) That's not for us to decide. All we can do is keep striving to accomplish what we want and what's important to us. Time will take care of the rest. Life indeed is different to what we imagine and it can be splendid. I never did get that apartment in my 20s, but I have a house now with lovely floorboards and a view of a park across the road where I've made memories with my new community of neighbours who have become very good friends. I do host dinner parties and I love how things I've collected over the years that are old because I adore mid-century, get to be vibrant again and to be a part of new memories. How wonderful too that I can buy new things for my dinner parties that will have the mark of our history on them just by us enjoying them. So go forth everyone and proclaim on my behalf, Bob, Adam needs more vases. (laughs) I also have a Bob and a Lucy. How lucky am I? Life does and doesn't look how I imagined it all those years ago. And I think that's great. Well, first, my love, I shall wish you a very, very happy birthday from myself, from my loved one, Jared, and from our community of Love's a Secret Weapon. I think that it was very brave of you to write your feelings And to be cognizant of your feelings and express them so beautifully. So thank you for reading your heartfelt feelings and memories that I'm sure many, many people can relate to in their own way. Maybe not with the exact examples, but the references that you give are very relatable. So, oh my goodness. <laughs> it was, uh, no, thank you for giving me the opportunity. And, and you're right, it's, it's my birthday and I'm a year older than I was at 40. So it took me some time to, as it sometimes does, to process some of those thoughts and what I've been thinking of. But thank you for giving me the opportunity to, to, um, to read that to our listeners. Um, uh, because, yeah, I think, like you said, Donna, that, you know, it is, and I think I've learned this from you, it can be very vulnerable sometimes to put feelings out there and, and to be truthful and, and put that out in the world. But that's what I learned from you, that on this podcast over 65-plus episodes, you've been honest and you've sought in your readings and in discussion to understand yourself, but also, I guess, to understand yourself in the service of other people as well, that 
you know, all our experiences, all the details change, but I think all our experiences can have similar components. And so sometimes hearing what someone else has experienced or what they've made of it um, can add clarity to our own lives. It's interesting, sweetheart, that sometimes even the words mm. don't, it's the, it's the feeling behind the words that um, connect with pe- other people's hearts. And, you know, the recognition you give yourself that, you know, all of your life's experiences weren't as perfect as you wish they could be. Welcome to the club. <laughs> it's so, it's so true, isn't it? And... <laughs> we are constantly learning. Mm-hmm. And, and, and with the energies that are supporting us, we are dropping from our intellect more into our hearts. And it's, that's where we connect. You know, when, when um, you opened your heart to yourself to write this story and then to read it and share it with all of us. Yeah. It's, that um, shows the growth. <laughs> well, that's, exactly, that's yeah. exactly it, isn't it? That if you think that everything you're going to, one day wake up and go everything's in place I I think that's usually where the roof is going to fall off your house because that just that isn't that isn't the case but I I think you're right that idea of I think so much of my life and what I what I do for work or the way I've approached stuff is has not that it hasn't been about feeling um, but you know a lot of that is quite intellectual it's it's all about um, the, the cognitive and and I think sometimes what can happen when you do that so much and and as I said and I think a lot of um, people perhaps who are listening can relate to this idea that you go through school and and for whatever reason whether it's the type of person you are or whether it's perhaps family um, and what they value but you often focus very much on uh, you know achieving a grade getting the best mark things like that and you don't take in the um, the learning processes and just being involved in ideas and, and feelings and, and um, you know, really thinking it's all about that end point. And I think in some ways I took that into early adulthood where I thought what you need to do is pursue goals. There's goals that are set for you, whether it's at work or whatever you've come up with, and that's what you need to keep doing. And as long as you're ticking them off, great, you're doing well. And I think probably what I didn't realise for a long time is that Goals are only one part of the picture and it's really about understanding what you value because values are what is going to keep you moving throughout your life. That's an ongoing thing. Um, uh, Russ Harris, who's a psychologist that I referred to, gives the example that, say, getting married is a goal. Once you, you know, you get married, you've ticked off that goal. It's it's done. But being, say, a listening and caring um, and sharing partner is something that's a value, that's something that you value, but that's something ongoing. That doesn't, you don't get to a point one day where you've achieved that. That's always something that you um, are doing on a day-to-day basis. And I think being aware of what you value can help you pursue your goals, but also gives meaning to your life. Yes, yes, yes. And and Joseph Campbell, you know, with just, you know, not quoting him, but mm-hmm. he has a way of saying that, You know, when life gives you that feeling of wonder, Mm, mm. that wonder so that when you wake up in the morning and, you know, you actually are grateful to wake up, Mm. 
and um and all of the you know mental process of this is what i have to do and uh, you know all of that but trying to stay in your heart is a very interesting um discipline mm. um and the um mental things that that one needs to do um but but with the with the consciousness that you know you're you're in kind of a flow mm. and that um, when you think about time that you don't always have to look at a clock, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, sure. If you're ca- you have to catch a plane, I understand. Um, <laughs> it's not going to wait for you, but generally I find, well, my, when I look at my wrist to see what time it is, I see mm-hmm. two hairs past a freckle. and i and you know and jared tells me all the time you know he's he's always very punctual and you know reminds me of what time it is well he's kind of starting to get used to the idea that i'm always on time not because the clock says it's time but because i'm i am where i'm supposed to be exactly when that is Mm. And it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, with the numbers that are indicated. Um, it's taken, well, I've been that way my whole life. Mm. Um, but then fitting yourself in to the regimen of what life has been like and and having to fit in, as you were expressing, mm. you know, time or your accomplishments, or or who you are, and always wanting to, you know, to please others, and all of the points that you made mm. come under the topic of acceptance. And um, I think what what you're becoming, or what you're evolving into, your awareness is that you are accepting who you are for exactly who you are. Mm. And that is absolutely the greatest gift that you could give yourself. So another happy birthday. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. It's yeah, absolutely. I, I think acceptance. I've been reading a lot about acceptance lately because, of course, there's ex- there's acceptance to self, um, but there's also sometimes acceptance of what's in your life or of other people's actions or, or things like that. And and I think for a long time. I kind of thought acceptance had to mean that you were okay with something. And that's not the case that sometimes say there's, there might be a particularly difficult relationship uh, in your life. And you think acceptance means I have to be all right with this or, or that's I I'm condoning this. And that's not perhaps the case. It's about accepting the reality of what is and being in a mindful state of awareness. And, and when you're in a mindful state of awareness, you're aware of um, what you're experiencing and and what you're going through and what a particular situation is doing to you, but that you can also put some distance between what you're experiencing and your reaction to it and realise that they're not one and the same. Something happens to you and you react a certain way and you think that's kind of just in, inevitable because um, that's the way I feel. 
but realizing and, and questioning why am I feeling like that and and seeing that experience as an experience and and not I guess fusing that with your emotion but being able to step back and to look at that um, as it is and mm. and realize as it's unfolding and of course that's a very big topic and I'm probably not explaining Huge. it uh, well. the most eloquently at this time of morning here in Adelaide but yeah that idea that I think acceptance is accepting reality it doesn't have to mean you like it but it's that acceptance mm. that's that openness to what the experience is mm. um, and being able to look at it yeah you know there's also a, the, the, the point that you know who you are through the experience that you're like what wait a minute why what why am I here mm. why is this happening <laughs> to me you know what what is the usefulness of my experience um what is it for my soul for my for my own personal growth you know who's who's going to benefit from this very uncomfortable situation and um i think that you know we all come in to learn mm-hmm. and um so being hard on yourself you know i think that's the hard that's that's you know the So, you know, having having a family or a community that accepts you for who you are exactly when you open your eyes and begin to breathe in this 3D world. Hmm. You know, if you feel like you there's some discrimination or there's some adversity that, um, you, you know, that's the environment you're living in. Mm. Of course, you're going to feel like you're not, you know, you have an acceptance issue. Um, And then you'll always try to please, Mm. you know, to build build yourself up beyond expectation to 
to uh, to fit in and be accepted and and feel like you belong. Absolutely, it's uh, I, I think it's something that we're all a product of those experiences. But as you say, it it's being aware of that sometimes because we we slip into those those habits or what we've learned sometimes easily unless unless we are mindful. And you can find yourself, you know, I still find myself sometimes where. I'm somewhere and, and I feel that need to, to please. And I know sometimes that can come from empathy for someone else. And I'm, I'm not talking about that where, I don't know, you're in a room with someone and someone's having a bit of a hard time. And so you kind of adjust to them and, and you empathize. That's different. But when you catch yourself realizing, I'm, I'm saying something that I don't really necessarily believe, but I'm doing it because I feel that's what I want what people want me to say yeah. um you know i think learning yeah learning to take to stop and you've spoken about this before that idea of what do i truly believe and i think like attracts like and and when you start to understand that i think the people that you do attract um uh or who who you you want to be in your life um are more simpatico um so i, I think it is again that mindful awareness is also about being aware of your own patterns because then you're not necessarily ruled by them because so much of the way that we react in situations or or um, a reaction we have to something is is so based often on things we've experienced previously um mm. yeah and being aware of that and if you don't mind i mean mm. depending where in the world you are and who you know who is in your life mm. you know when you reach a, a critical time um of of knowing who you are um, and getting in touch with your feelings. When um, a young person starts feeling that um, they're not fitting into the norm and, and, you know, and your feelings are not, you know, what's supposedly socially accepted. Mm. Mm. Um, and, and, and who do you turn to? Absolutely. Yeah. And for many people, um, that's that's the experience that they find that really difficult that there isn't that validation or at least that understanding or that willingness to 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 listen and they may not get that from parents where you know even if a parent doesn't understand something even if it's you know foreign to them I, I think sometimes that that ability to try to listen to not put their own distress into the equation or to um, realize at the heart of it, they they want the best for their child, and and how can we get there? Um, you know, is a that's a that's a really hard thing for some people, and I think um, a lot of people experience that. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, we can pull up all kinds of examples, you know, but then ultimately, um, I think with when it comes to you, when when you finally found someone who became your your mate and your soulmate and decided that you have a compatible companion um that supports you and that you support you support and um i think it makes all the difference in the world yeah it, you know yeah. <laughs> i was gonna and, say that yeah lucy has been good no i'm joking i'm joking lucy the dog i'm not we're not talking about although she well she animals up. are just as valuable everyone that has a heart you know i mean some people aren't as lucky to have an animal i mean maybe mm -hmm. someone feels that they're more lucky to have a a tree mm. yeah you know i think um what what I, and what I, when I was just writing this and initially I wrote it and I said I'll put it on my blog and 
and whatever. And I thank you again for, for saying, why don't you share this? Because I've had a couple of friends say, hey, you should put this out there. Um, is, is not to, I guess, also, uh, you know, I was talking about work and, and the idea of not feeling fulfilled. And I'm also aware that that's also something that sometimes is a bit of a luxury to, um, you know, I'm sure there's plenty of people that go, hey, you know, I don't have work or I, I'm in a really difficult job. And so I, I, I want to make it as clear as possible. I'm not, I'm not doing the whole woe is me. I'm aware that I, I've been fortunate in terms of employment and, and so on. But I guess, um, and what I noticed in the, um, you know, in my own sort of psychology work is even during the pandemic, a lot of people were leaving jobs. And what the research found is they weren't leaving jobs because a better job came along necessarily. They were leaving jobs sometimes to go sideways. So it wasn't about pay or prestige or anything like that. But it was this idea of um, moving somewhere that was more in line with their values. And so I'm, you know, I'm aware I, I don't want to come across as ungrateful for, for having, you know, the ability to have had employment and, and so on, but to you know, realise the importance again of, of just what you value and how you want to connect with people, um, you know, I think is really important because we do spend so much time at work and, and not necessarily that it has to be all fulfilling because, you know, it is a job, you are performing a role. Um, but again, where we can to try to see what do we value out of our lives? Is it about, as you said, about the tree? You know, is it about connection with nature? Do you value that? And that will determine the way you live your life. Do you value connection with people? And that determines another way that you live your life. You know, is it about being creative? Is it about being really innovative? Or perhaps it's just about, um, you know, the relationships you have at work. So maybe the work isn't innovative or, or you don't find it particularly creative, but it is um, somewhere where you really enjoy going to. You know, like you said, I think those reasons for getting up in the morning um, and to return to your point, that idea that we can be very lucky with the people that come in, come into our lives that we connect with who help us understand ourselves, who accept us for who we are and allow us to grow because they are accepting, you know, you've spoken about this with Jared before, this idea uh, in relation to Jared, this idea of, you know, what he, um, both when you were experiencing difficulty, which you've spoken about in chapters, um, but just also in the everyday, that stopping to listen and to make that time. You bring your love everywhere you go and it's up to others to recognize it. And for you to be patient. <laughs> <laughs> Any day now. <laughs> you know, um, I think, you know, everyone has the potential to love and mm. to be loved. And this world, it, you know, has been so filled with conflict for so mm. long mm. that that's, 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 why we, that's why we focus on our favorite four-letter word. You know, mm -hmm. we love love <laughs> and life, you know, life is living love every mm -hmm. moment, whether it's a waking moment or a sleeping moment. And I guess what the future holds is really finding your grace mm -hmm. to to remember that you are filled with love to give. Not everyone is available to receive. And that is where intuition comes in to know where to give your love. And then if, if you're feeling that kind of, um, oh, uh, rejection, mm. then, 
then it's time to go in and fill yourself with love and mm-hmm. a little compassion for those that are resistant in mm-hmm. knowing how to how to show love and that means that they're wounded they have a wounded heart i know what that feels like mm-hmm. you know what that feels like so <laughs> you know you and i have come together uh, for so long mm. and for now it's it's you're talking about three decades well it hasn't yeah. been three decades yet but mm. it is more than two decades it is more than two decades yeah and we've grown together mm. and it's been through loving each other forgiving each other giving each other the space and time to get to know one another and um and i think i think we're at a point where you know, we've found a way to share our love with, you know, our community where you live mm. and in the ethers on on all of these um, uh, airwaves. And and it's just a miracle that love is really in blossom. It is blossoming now. And, you know, or your heart would not be able to speak as honestly as you did. And just keep, you know, I encourage you, I encourage myself, I encourage all of us to be real. And I want to read this one little thing. Mm. I have this card that says, success, success, to live each moment fully is to succeed. Absolutely. So true. Um, Yeah. And, you know, we've spoken to so many people over the, the last couple of years on here and, and people who are who are wanting to live in the moment to uh, be mindfully aware um, you know we've spoken so much about that idea of the being compassionate to yourself um, and being compassionate to other people in spite of difficult situations sometimes and extending that compassion we have for ourselves outward to other people in that form of empathy and and yeah and that's all we can keep doing um and watching police academy movies you know you really must (laughs) i Um, have i have a really good suggestion mm. there is a new movie called mrs harris goes to paris ah yes yes the old story about um mrs harris who who wants a what does she want she wants a she wants a dior dress yes Mm -hmm. and she is a housemaid in england Mm. And she works for a rich lady who is going to a wedding and who just purchased a Dior dress for herself. Mm. And and the um, housekeeper dreams of having a Dior. But what it leads to is fulfilling her own sense of integrity, mm. her own, as you say, her own sense of value and one thing leads to another it's a domino effect where she's she is in service to her work and then the doors start opening up mm-hmm. it's like the heavens open up to her and the story is just phenomenal it really is a metaphor for for life these days where you can start at the bottom and rise 
to the stars. Whether, yeah, whether that's externally or internally and um, no, that sounds, that sounds wonderful. I've seen the, the, previous version of it with Angela Lansbury from the 1990s so I'm yeah I'm looking forward to to seeing um this one hello my name is Katie Sharkey and I'm an assistant professor in psychiatry and human behavior and medicine at Brown University today I have the honor and pleasure of interviewing one of our founders Dr. Rosalind Cartwright who is professor emerita in the graduate program of neurological sciences at Rush University Medical Center and I'm just so thrilled to get to talk to you about some of the good old days and the new stuff. So we should get started. Um, and I think a good place to start is how you first got interested in sleep. So in your book, you talk about sleep having been an important part of your family life. Oh, absolutely. And yes. I wanted you to tell me more about that. Well, my mother was a big dreamer. And she loved to tell her dreams at the dinner table and intrigue us all with decoding the images and she used her dream images very much in her poetry and she was a published poet and my father would sit there and shake his head in wonder and say Stella you have such an interesting nightlife <laughs> and that was where I got the title of the first dream book yeah. <laughs> it was called nightlife but he did not dream she did at least their recollection. She had a rich dream life. He said he had not. That intrigued me as a kid, that people differed. uh, uh, I had many psychological questions that I carried over from my childhood. That was one about the dreaming. And the other one was that my mother was convinced that sleep was a healer. Anything that was wrong with you, if you slept on it, it'd be okay. You would wake up feeling better (laughs) in the morning. Sleep was a big healer. And I said, well, that's kind of magical. I wonder if it works, you know, Mm -hmm. and if it works, why does it work? What I talk a little bit about in that in that reading was this idea of, you know, the importance of mentors sometimes. And a mentor doesn't have to be a professional relationship. And in the case of the mentor I had, that that was, we came together through a joint interest in the empathy area that uh, Ros Cartwright, who I spoke about, had done um, a lot of the original empathy research in the 1940s and 50s. And I contacted her in the Oh, early 2000s and and by then she was doing sleep research but you know it started off as that and we became friends and we connected and and you know I think those people in your life who uh, have your best interests at heart but also can provide uh, a perspective a a wisdom um, whatever it is that's really important so I wanted to acknowledge that one Um, I love that yeah, and as you know, uh, Roz uh, died uh, yes. two, almost two years ago uh, at age 98. So she had oh, a wonderfully long beautiful life. Um, but, yeah, those mentors are important. You've spoken about that as well before with people who absolutely, um, yeah, are, are, uh, show, show you the way through ways that they've been in, in life, in all its, their, their lives, in all their complexities and, and what they've learned from them. And, and, yeah, yeah, that's really what it's all about. I have to say, though, you know, yes, it's really beautiful to have a mentor mm. who has lived a long life. Mm. But there are so many ways to um, see that wisdom come through. It could be a little baby. It could be a young toddler. 
you know, it's the connection with the eyes and then a smile and something that touches your heart Mm. and stays with you just to keep opening, opening, opening to more and more um, around you, you know, to, to have that perspective of, you know, that, what do you call that, that extra peripheral vision? It's kind of Mm. like out of the corner of your eye, you might see an angel. Yeah, uh, here's, you know, here's hoping that we can just be more aware of, of what's around us and perhaps what isn't around us, but is, um, well, is, but uh, isn't quite so obvious, whatever form that takes for people, whatever that is. So, yeah, wow, we've, we've delved in uh, deeply to a, to a range of <laughs> different things, and I thank you for yes, allowing well, me to do it. Absolutely, honey, and stay optimistic, all of us, mm. you know. If something creates a little doubt, shake it off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> shake it off. You know, I'm not dealing with fantasy. I'm dealing with your beautiful imaginations to create a world that we all want to live in. And it's up to each one of us to, to take the reins and stay on our path and see that we can all come together and one by one, one by one, mm. we'll, we'll be doing this. We'll be marching along. We'll be crusading to the life that is really, honestly, uh, you know, this is, this is absolutely a reality to overcome the past and face our shadows, let go of the, the darkness within yourself and, and clear yourself make space within you and and that's what you've done by writing this story and and collecting your thoughts and all of your feelings you know you're clearing that's a spring cleaning if i ever heard one adam (laughs) it's a bit it's a bit hard to think of spring right now here where we're we're coming into winter and it's freezing but i i i get the metaphor absolutely Well, excuse me uh, for my lack of awareness. I realize you're going into fall. We're going, we're in spring over here. So I see it as a really healthy spring cleaning and many, many blessings. If I could give you a a little pinch to grow an inch, I would in a huggy and a a big, mm, a big kiss on both cheeks and many, many blessings, my love. Thank you again, um, and we'll speak soon. And thanks, everyone, for listening. Um, Until next time, love's a secret weapon.